Welcome, listeners, to the 28th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhardt. With me, as always, are my wonderful co-hosts, the powerful wizards Robinson Sien and Christopher Wikström. The very best welcome to you, dear listeners. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. I hope you're doing well. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found every week on the Top Decked app. In today's episode, we will look at the paper play of the past week, as per usual. Then we will talk about one of the most controversial issues of Paper Legacy, how to write a proper decklist in text and how to photograph your decklist. I promise that there will be strong disagreements here. But first things first, Robin, how was your Legacy week? I did some testing with 8cast. Uh, It's my newest deck that I'm trying out. I did face a lot of hate cards, I should say. I started out playing against Bant and won my first game rather quick. And then in game two, I faced the dreadful energy flux that I have been hyping up on the cast. (laughs) Oh my god. The Canadian Threshold guys talked about energy flux just in the recent episode that I listened to earlier today. This is really the thing now. You started this. Yeah, you started this, Robin. It's on you. And I was sitting on the table next to you and I was glaring over at your side of the table and I saw an energy flux on the other side and I was like, Robin, your own medicine. Yeah, it's 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 pretty rough. Two mana for each artifact uh, and like the only lands that survive are the sagas <laughs> and the ancient tombs which hurt you. So, I mean, it's it's basically game over if it resolves. I don't have any cards that deal with it either, so it's just force of will, force of negation, or just bust. And in game three, he, I actually spotted the energy flux uh, with the bauble on the top of his library, but I, I had uh, counter magic, and uh, I, he, he never got to play it because he, he, I think he sort of knew that I was on counter magic, and he was looking to find his own counter magic before playing it, but he didn't get it in time. So luckily, I did get the win there. And then I faced off uh, against my uh, worst matchup so far, D&T. And there I faced Kataki, Wars Wage, which is basically a little bit nicer energy flux on legs. But in one sense, it's not nicer because it has a sacrifice uh, wording and not destroy wording. So it also kills my indestructible lands. That was pretty rough. I mean, I usually lose to the equipment of the D&T deck, but this time I just lost to Flicker Wisps and Katakis and, and whatnot. And then I faced off against uh, our podcast host Christopher on his... Uh, I'm, I'm not going to spoil the deck, but it, 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 was a, it was a nice deck indeed to meet. Again, I got win in game one rather quickly. I think I was like produced an overwhelming board quite fast. Then in game two, I got owned by a Nullrod. And then in game three, it was more of a back and forth, but... Eventually, I lost that game. And then my fourth opponent was uh, Esper Vile, which also had Kataki Warswitch in the sideboard. But uh, I never got to see it, and I did board in my Girapur Edergrids, which can deal with guys. Even though they shut off artifacts or tax artifacts, they can still be tapped for damage. So that's quite a nice, that's a nice like improvement of the deck. To play Europe Elder Grid. So all in all, I went two and two, and 
I mean, I'm I'm quite happy with the results given the matchups and given the cards that were in the sideboards. But I think that maybe our very small local meta is a little bit hostile towards artifacts right now. Maybe I will bring another deck next Thursday. Well, that sounds like you had a good time uh, at the very least. I did. Uh, deck is fun to play, right? Except in as I've heard multiple people talk now about the dreaded mirror. I haven't faced the mirror. Hmm. Lucky for you. Yeah, I mean, it's really fun to play. You get on the board very quick. You draw a lot of cards. You make a lot of nice tokens, which I have... I mean, we're talking about aesthetics later, but like getting tokens for your deck is half of the fun building a deck, in my opinion. I love your tokens for, for this deck. I was just... Uh... Yeah, really blown away. You have some really nice custom-made tokens for that. Yeah, it, it's the card market tokens. Uh, I think that it's their their own like uh, token uh, set, so to say. And they're looking really nice. And sort of uh, all the three tokens that I use are in the same sort of uh, same type of colors and s- same type of artwork. So they match together very well as well. Yeah. Very cool. I strongly endorse your choice of tokens as well, and uh, we'll make sure to get them linked in the Discord for uh, image content for those of you who want it. So, uh, Christopher, did you get to do any discrete math in your decks this week? Luckily, I dodged the discrete math bullet in this uh, first day night off, if you could call it that. But uh, I, I did play quite a spicy one. So there's been some bug decks running around with... Uh, uh, with the bloom commands and uh, you know some maybe even unnerves if you're into that kind of package and uh, I tried one out. We didn't talk about our uh, last week's uh, tournament play at our LGS, but I did try the deck out for the first time then, and I just felt that it's a very sweet deck, but something is missing, and I think it's that something is me getting super greedy with my mana base and what I'm trying to do. So I just decided to splash red <laughs> in in this deck already because it's playing with the bloom commands. So it can fix the mana quite easily. Then you can also add some really spicy cards that I really enjoy playing in Legacy. So I'll run down the list real quick and this will also be in the Discord later. Might even put up a, a picture of it, which will theme into our next section of the pod. So my deck is Four Baleful Strix, one Snapcaster Mage, two Bonecrusher Giant, one Brazen Borrower, one Leovold, one Plague Engineer, three Uro. So those are the creatures. Four Brainstorm, four Ponder, one Fatal Push, two Lightning Bolt, one Unearth, one Sylvan Library, two Witherbloom Command, two Dak Faden, two Grist, two Collagans Command, one Jace the Mind Sculptor, and four Force of Will. And here's the lands. You know, I'm a, I'm a pretty greedy guy, so bear with me. No hate. So it's one Badlands, one Bayou, one Basic Island, four Misty Rainforest, four Polluted Delta, two Scalding Karn, two Tropical Island, True Underground Sea, one Verdant Catacombs, two Volcanic Island, and one Wasteland. So this is just like, yeah, I could, I could secure my mana a bit more but I decided to add a Wasteland because it's just so good with, with the Bloom commands when you get to pop off. The sideboard is another Plague Engineer because I love that card. Uh, sometimes you just need to shove it down a DNT player's or Elves player's throat. <laughs> One Dark Blast, which is also extremely good 
in this type of deck when you're playing Uros and also sideboard uh, Life from the Loam. One Fluster Storm, two Nile Spell Bomb, two Power Blast, one Surgical, uh, two Veil, as I mentioned, the Life from the Loam, a Null Rod, one Force of Negation, one Seeds of Innocence, and another Wasteland. And Robin is giving me Thumb the thumbs down. down. So yeah, it's uh, this deck is pretty mean against artifacts because it's playing with the Bloom Command to deal with cards like Chalice or uh, Vile, but it's also just playing DAC, uh, which just steals big constructs or steals Shadow Spears. Uh, you name or, it. Or st steals the mana base. Steals the mana base. Ouchie. Big ouchie. That's really... that. That's just evil. Yeah, and also it feels great, you know, to pack Colligan's commands, you know, just kill Emery and destroy a land or something like that, or just buy time by killing a, a big Karn construct or something like that. Um, so this deck is extremely sweet. I, I really enjoy it. Uh, I'll probably try it uh, this first day as well. I'm not really sure if I'm going to make any tweaks. So my matches were first against Esper Vile, 2-1. Uh, this is a super grindy matchup, but it's one of those matchups where Colligan's command really does a lot. Sometimes, you know, just a single card can do a lot in certain matchups. But I just think like the deck overall with Bonecrusher Giants, especially, it just does so many weird things. I actually added the Bonecrusher Giants. I was thinking about like, how can I maximize my red splash? And if I'm adding Colligan's commands, Bonecrusher Giants feels really good as well. Because you can pick it up with, Bone with Colligan's command and then just adventure it and play it again. So it's it's just like extremely fun to see how much value you can grind out out of one Bone Crusher and a Colligan's Command. I mean, I remember the times when Colligan's Command was at its uh, last height, so to say. It's probably when I played Dutton Taxes the most in Legacy, and that was always very rough. And I would imagine that it's the same for Esper Vile. Yeah, the Shek Pile era. Uh, Colligan's Command was probably at its peak then. And I think Death and Taxes was pretty okay back then because Plague Engineer didn't exist. Like it was pre Renin 6, and Deathrite Shaman is not really, it's, it's not great, but it's not like the worst if you're the DNT players. Like uh, they're not going to eat your graveyard that much. Like, Maybe if you have like a Swords to Plowshares, else it's just going to be like life gain. Uh, maybe if you wasteland the opponent, they can get a mana. But it's 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 pretty it's pretty fair uh, in that sense. But then you also had like two to three Colligan's command back in the day, which just really, yeah, it, like it's it's extremely good. It's also pre Caldra, uh, so you could just destroy the Battle Skull with the Living Wish, no, with the yeah. Living Weapon on the stack. And stuff like that. It's extremely nasty. There was a lot of also Colligan's command do these amazing value things. Two turns later, snap cost image. Colligan's command <laughs> do it again. Oh, it was rough, man. It was rough. I ha I have PTSD for that card, man. Don't you think that DNT is more equipped to deal with Colligan's command now? That is more like value, value oriented. No, for yeah, sure. for sure, for sure. Uh, I I do think like the the thing that this deck kind of wants to do with the Colligan's Command now, if they're on the 80-card version, it should probably try and get the 
all of the non-Caldra equipment out of there. Yeah. Like with the Devile shirts, always going to be good, but the 80-card deck is not as reliant on it. It has so many like late-game value cards anyways. So the best part, uh, the best the best value that you can get from it is probably killing a creature like a Stoneforge Mystic when it, when it has gotten Caldra and maybe, you know, either making them discard or pick up a bone crusher or something like that. But it's it's definitely medium compared to what it what it used to do in the matchup. And that's interesting because the the picking up the bone crusher giant, that's such a huge addition uh, to the potential of Colagon's command, but it's still falling quite short of its heyday, which says a lot about the state of power in legacy, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And then I picked up a loss against uh, Blue White Affinity. I can't remember if it was 02 or 1 2. I remember that I got into this board state where I dacked two of my opponent's lands. <laughs> but then I managed to pretty much just draw lands <laughs> on my side as well. So, although I, I think I double wastelanded my opponent, like wasteland with the bloom, wasteland, and stole the lands but didn't manage to, you know, find a single threat <laughs> in my whole deck. Um, so I was just sitting there like, oh yeah, maybe maybe this deck needs some tuning or maybe this is like variance. But yeah, it happens. It, it was still like a super fun matchup and it felt extremely fun to just mess up your opponent's mana base. This opponent also is uh, rocking Armageddon's in the sideboard. So... <laughs> Like uh, that, that player is no stranger to messing up <laughs> the opponent's lands and and uh, your own lands in that scenario, which is another case for playing those uh, indestructible tap lands, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, extremely sweet <laughs> to combat the Armageddon meta. Yeah, exactly. But then I played against Robin on eight cast and uh, game one. You know, I'm I'm sitting there thinking that I have a lot of tools in my main to combat him. And game one, I just get run over. <laughs> like uh, it's the eight cast, uh, the eight cast effect. It just plays more cards, draws more cards until I'm dead. Game two, I get to null rod, and game three, I think that's where I did the did the whole deck thing, stealing your retrofit yeah. foundry uh, to you know <laughs> generate some some uh, potential blockers. And just uh, you know, slowly grinding it down. I think I got an Uro into play, and just yeah, it was it was pretty nasty. And I also think that your your Emery uh, missed a bit uh, when you played it. Uh, I, I remember removing the first one, but the second one, I don't, I I can't remember. But I think that you didn't have super many hot targets. I, I think I I think that you stole one of my tapped uh, indestructible lands with deck and that was like the first thing that you did with deck and that just put me on the back foot i think so each time i just presented a threat or something you had a opportunity to deal with it because you you play a deck that is full of answers so i need to like overwhelm your mana so to say so that you can only answer like one or two things at a time and that i present two or three things at a time yeah like in game one exactly and so yeah that was that was super sweet and then I ended the, the night against uh, DNT. And historically, Checkpile is pretty good against DNT. But uh, there are some really important things that has made this matchup uh, quite scary. And it's uh, <clears throat> the return of, like, this player in particular is playing the 60-card version. 
and a lot of flicker wisps and also Caldra, uh, which is quite heavy. Like in game one, we played like a 30 plus minute game one. From if, if I would give the, the board state, like it was something like my opponent had a, a Thalia, a Stoneforge, a Caldra complete and a Jit with four counters on it. And I managed to win that game. Like simply by, <laughs> simply by playing Dak, stealing the Jit, equipping it to Uro, and attacking. The Uro could kill a Spirit of the Labyrinth and uh, a Falia, and the Caldra kind of like had to kill Dak because eventually, like if, if you don't deal with Dak, I'm going to eventually just steal the Caldra and equip it to Uro. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not a fun thing. So like, although Caldra is great at, you know, keeping Uro back because it's, it's one of those cards that just has that ability, you know, you, hmm. you shall not pass. <laughs> you don't want to be in that scenario against Checkpile because you're a fair white deck with very little manipulation and you're playing against like a deck that's going to draw a lot of cards and playing Grist, which is also pretty good in that matchup. And like I mentioned, the Culligan's Commands, Bonecrusher Giants, it's just a lot of nasty stuff in there. Yeah, like game game two and three was pretty grindy, but at the end of it, got there. So it was a it was a free one, and I think I'm running it back this first day. It's it's a very nice list. Cool. I think if this deck list had a name, it would be greed is good, <laughs> because this list that you're playing, I think this is it falls into the top three greedy decks that I've heard you talk about actually picking up and playing i mean you've been theory crafting you know some really wild things but this is actual factual sort of decks that you play this uh, this goes pretty high up on the list with that singleton <laughs> wasteland like you fucking joking yeah i'm i'm pretty close on <laughs> i'm pretty close on cutting my single basic to put another wasteland in the main <laughs> should do it well we'll see yeah i'm thinking about it it's pretty nice to have a basic but if your opponent blood moons you, you're pretty dead anyways. Like I, I'm playing one yeah, brazen borrower. So if I have my island, I might get there. But you know, if they do play like a blood moon, I can still play Dak. I can pl- still play Snap Bolt and uh, Bone Crusher Giant. So it's it's not out of like I'm I'm not all out of gas, but. All of the other cards are dead, like with the Bloom Command, Uro, all of those cards, like, yeah, they're going to be pitch father to force. So, yeah, uh, this is a greedy deck for sure. And uh, it's kind of like I, t- I took this kind of stable sh- shell, like the stable bug, and I made it less stable to have more fun. Sounds good. For myself, uh, I'm still living high on the uh, surprise party Paper Legacy play from uh, last week and I'm looking forward to the holidays coming around soon so I can do more of that, I'm hoping. Also, for people in Stockholm listening, rest assured that there are ongoing discussions on what the first proper season of the Legacy League will look like post-COVID, if COVID doesn't sort of ruin things once more. I mean, being a European-based crew, uh, obviously things aren't looking splendid at the moment so we'll see we'll see look forward to news coming your way pretty soon
So, on to today's highly controversial topic. How do you write your paper deck lists and how do you document them for image sharing? I'm gonna start off by the, I guess, the, the baseline, what we have to put ourselves up against uh, or, or, or criticize. The, the mothership with the coast style of writing a deck list that goes like this. Planeswalkers first, then creatures, sorceries, instants, artifacts, enchantments, lands. And under these sections, the cards under the sections are ordered alphabetically. So you could have one Birds of Paradise, four Geralt's Messenger, and two uh, Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath. Uh, so it wouldn't sort of care about how many copies you have of every single creature. It would just care about how, what alphabetical letter is the first in the name. And then it goes uh, goes on like that. And the sideboard is less structured like this, but I think it follows the same pattern. So to begin with, what do we think about the Wizards of the Coast style of doing a text decklist? Robin. I mean, to start off, I think like those categories are quite uninteresting. To, to separate the deck into. The sort of topic that actually sparked this, this topic at all is the way that, uh, that MTGO uh, decks are formatted, which is uh, in categories based on the CMC of the cards. So it's like one pile of one CMC cards and a pile of two CMC cards and that. And I mean, for me, both these ways of presenting the deck is equally uninteresting. I, I want to like sort the cards on what role they play in the deck that's how i want to sort them so i give the thumbs down to this like very generic way of presenting the cards strong hate all right christopher for me like the the whole uh, putting them into different uh, like types it's it's easy if uh, maybe you're introducing someone to the game like these are distinct things to keep in mind but there's this uh, scene uh, when when we talked about like does this spark joy, <laughs> uh, what is it Marie Kondo? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Uh, does this spark joy? Like my best uh, like comparison would be in Ip Man Two, which is a kind like a, a Chinese boxing movie. There's this scene where <clears throat> this really good fighter is just walking up to a table where they're gonna fight, and one of the old masters says like just walking up like that, no style. This is kind of like I, I get the same, <laughs> the same feeling when I'm when I'm seeing this, and like I, I I'm not gonna hate too much on it, but I do think like it's uh, it's pretty what's the what's the good word for it uh, bureaucratic maybe it's yeah. uh, very stale. Yeah. What about you, Victor? Yeah, I think the 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 strongest opinion I have about this way of sorting is that they put planeswalkers first in this list which I, uh, I take a lot of issue with, of course. I mean, they would do it because they want to feature Planeswalkers whenever they can, because Planeswalkers are such a core component of how Magic the Gathering is marketed and has been for a long time. And I understand why they would, if they have the chance, if someone who plays sort of a successful deck to, to a finish, they want to put it on the website, they want the Planeswalker to go first. Because Planeswalkers aren't, in my view, what sort of drives decks forward and in the cases where they have sort of done that they've, they've been banned <laughs> <laughs> they sell pants <laughs> like like planeswalkers is a sort of support card 
is uh, something that makes your deck tick even more. It's, it's it's something else than than what comes first. It's not the point of your deck, and that's why I take issue with them putting planeswalkers first. Because if you wanted to order things like this, planeswalkers in my book would come before lands. And in the same type of of uh, critique I would have against the the Watsi standard is that you put enchantments after artifacts. I find that to be just super weird. Aside from the comments that you guys have given. So uh, it's, uh, yeah, thumbs down from me as well. I think this uh, this way of putting things into these categories is, is uh, very strange to me. Yeah. This is something that <clears throat> should weigh more coming from Victor, the arena rector player, when he's saying that planeswalkers shouldn't be up front. <laughs> like he's played arena rector, Nick Fit, with pl- featuring planeswalkers, and he doesn't agree with this. So... Take notes. That means something. It does indeed. I'm I'm glad to have this strong um, strong support for for my uh, the way I organize my deck choices. So uh, so Robin, you uh, you're heavy with the hammer here. What is your preferred uh, text style? You know, magic is uh, at least paper magic is a quite aesthetical game. Like you 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 choose how you want your deck to look, which art from among the cards that you can choose between. Is it uh, English? Is it uh, another language? Is it foil? Is it not? Uh, is it uh, like autographs on it? Is it altered? There's so many choices which you make and, and, and maybe you make some sort of uh, combinations of cards that you think fit well together because they, they follow a, a theme in the art or maybe it's the color that is the same in the art. So many choices that you make so my preferred way of displaying a deck is of course photographing it I, like and and even if i make a paper deck list i think about the photograph and then write it down instead so so for me it's all about the photograph and like i guess there are two schools when it comes i mean maybe there are more schools but there are like for me there are two schools either you make like this big square where you have like six times ten or something like that and you just put out all the cards but my favorite way of of displaying them is is it's like making small islands, so to say, <laughs> on your play mat where you where you put the different categories. And uh, if I'm playing a, a fair deck, say I play Bant or something like that, then I usually have one island with sort of the threats and win cons. And, and these are mostly creatures, but they could also be planeswalkers. Uh, I would, uh, for example, put a Jace the Mind Sculptor there because it's sort of a win con into that that deck and then i would have another little island which is like harder draw and there would be the brainstorms and ponders but i would also put the sylvan libraries there and if i play iterations i would put them there as well like card selection card draw and then i would have like an interaction island maybe it's one island maybe it's two depending on like a very controlish deck, maybe I, I split them up with removal and counter magic in different piles. So I would have like the, the swords and the endings and maybe like if you play some sort of wrath effect, I would put them in, in the same pile. And then I would have like the, the forces, the force of negations and like if you play something like counterbalance, I would put it there as well in the same pile. And then there's uh, like the lands in one pile. And if you play like a green sun package or if you play Ursa Saga and like tutor targets, I usually put them in, in, in a little island of itself, uh, like like a toolbox island. So that, that's like the main setup. But like 
when I play lands or dark depths, I usually divide the lands in, in two piles as well, like with the mana producing lands in one pile and sort of the combo, the wincon lands in one pile. And like the, the tutor target lands would make a, an island of their own. So like that's my, my basic display for the cards. Yeah, I've seen some quality pictures from Robin, and uh, I, I do I do like this. It's uh, uh, also quite uh, if you if you're not familiar with the deck, you kind of get the structure of it, like how you get a, a small insight to the machinery, like how where's the engine at, how do you win, and I I do think that's quite easy to follow, and uh, I do appreciate that. Big Robin fan here. Oh, nice to hear. Yeah, because that's like one of the things that I want to convey. Like, is like, is is it uh, four removal spells and twelve counter magic, as in like uh, sort of a Delver deck, or is it like twelve removal spells and you know, it, it sort of conveys what kind of what the deck wants to do and how it's built, and you get that like overview quite fast. How big the islands are, <laughs> so to say. I really like how you want to so purposefully tell a story. Of your game uh, with the visual presentation of your deck I, I really I really respect that extremely conscious uh, choice of, of, of grouping things uh, here that you do it is uh, I think uh, an inspiration nice to hear what about you Christopher how do you sort your cards so when I'm writing a, a deck list down for a tournament or so I'm I'm pretty no, I did. I did uh, bash the wizard for being, you know, uh, bureaucratic. But I might be close to worse. <laughs> I'm bureaucratic and unstructured when I do, when I do my my deck list. So I pretty much just write the I write the the creatures on top of the deck list, and there I go completely CMC down. And so I, I start with a one drops and then just go down. And then I have the non-creature spells <laughs> in the same order, like CMC-wise down. And then I have the lands, where I pretty much just put uh, like duels, basic fetches, and then other lands. So if I'm playing like this deck, I have the wasteland on the bottom, <laughs> like of the entire uh, deck list. If I'm playing lands, I'll have the like taiga and forest and fetches, and then just a lot of uh, different like. Yeah, wasteland ports and stuff like that. So it's it's just an easy way for me to check if the deck list is right before a tournament. But I have a completely different philosophy when it comes to putting up pictures. So here I sort my cards by color, pretty much, and also do the converted mana cost thing. And I usually do it in rows, depending on how many colors I'm playing. And the reason why I'm doing this is, so for instance, uh, I will put up a picture of how I, how I sort my check pile. Um, I want the person watching this to see where the mana is hurting and uh, how to prioritize fetching if they would try this deck out. So you see exactly how many blue cards you have, how many blue X cards you have. And so when you're fetching, you might have a better intuition, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't fetch Volk as my first blue source for the ponder, because then I might not be able to with the bloom command next turn if I need to get another lander. So um, so that's pretty much my, my philosophy going into pictures. But then I also try and, you know, make it look pretty. Like the gold cards, they usually have one row, and I usually play a lot of gold cards. 
So if you're interested in, in seeing this more in detail, I'll hook you up on Discord. Really cool. I'm, I'm, uh, I feel that we all need to take pictures after this <laughs> and so, so that like, the listeners can get the visual of it. It, it, it. it sounds really cool and I like that, that it's functional in that sense that you sort of can extract some sort of information from the layout. I like that very much. Yeah, I think it's, it's really helpful, at least for me also, when I'm, when I'm building decks. I'm not only brewing, like I, I mostly brew in paper, not as much in apps, like sometimes in apps or on websites, but mainly in paper because I'm, I'm, really, I'm a really cognitive person. So sorting things like that uh, really helps me figure out. Also, you know, find errors maybe in the mana base or in my, like, uh, what's the game plan uh, going to be like? And if you're playing like a really grindy deck, uh, like this one, it's really important to always know what your game plan is going to be at all stages in the match. So yeah, that's that's pretty much yeah, Victor. Yeah, I was just gonna say like the way that you present this would make it, I think, helpful if one wanted to iterate in a deck to document the progress of the deck because you have I mean you sort the things in a way that it would be easy to identify how you evolve in your say testing in paper and i think that would be more difficult to to visualize in a digital format so nice one nice one indeed tell us about your way of doing this process victor surprisingly i think i am the one that scales the highest on the chaos chaos theory ranking here because and i am a, i i am a great victim of uh, western ways of uh, sorting knowledge uh, as a side note here, I can recommend the latest episode of 99% Invisible podcast, which talk about the evolving of uh, the alphabetical order uh, as as a thing. Because before alphabetical order, uh, things were done a lot more like you guys are doing. An encyclopedia would list the most important knowledge first, and you would have hierarchies of information, and you would sort of go down the route, and then you know, the French encyclopedians and others in, in the Enlightenment period decided that, no, 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 we should make things structured so you can actually find information. So we start from A to Z. That's the very short version of this. Uh, because what I do is that I put all of my playsets first. I have four copies of this, four copies of this, four copies of this. And then I go three copies of this, three copies, two copies, two copies, one copy, one copy of the cards, of all non-land cards. And individually, I sort them creatures first and then enchantments and then instant sorceries and artifacts at the bottom and for the lands i go basics first then jewels then fetches and then miscellaneous like wasteland port cavern controversially we'll go there as well so that's how i do it and in the sideboard i only go by the numbers so i put the the, the place at first and then downwards and i sort my sideboard manually uh, i do it sort of counterclockwise so i do if i have one copy of a card in the sideboard that's top of the pile facing me when i take up the sideboards and the, and the play sets are in the bottom so it's it's all by number input please yeah yeah i mean it's so interesting to hear that we all have <laughs> complete different uh, ways of sorting the cards like 
I, I sort of sort them from function and Christopher from color and you sort of divide the cards in between how, how important are they for the deck so to say like this is a playset this is a, a must have in the deck and on, on the bottom is like this is a one-off I, I might draw it <laughs> I really like it so it's like an order of importance for the deck identity so to say it's really cool <laughs> does that mean Victor like if you were to restructure the English alphabet would you have E as the first letter because I think it's the most frequent letter or something like that I would have V as the first letter <laughs> obviously, v. obviously V for victory <laughs> is it so you can after me <laughs> after you if I would yeah, if, I'll if, agree if, with if that if I was given such you know godly influence over language I would obviously make my mark <laughs> who do you think I am <laughs> Yeah, I, I, if I, if I was in charge of you know alphabet and you know language, I would just sort sort out the whole adding R's to some English words that I hear some Brits do sometimes. I saw okay. it and stuff like that. I would just let's erase that. Let's have just universal rules for these things, guys. You invented the language. <laughs> What happened? I don't want to rain in your parade, Christopher, but people have tried many iterations of what you were just trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> there, well, there used to be this whole, this I, whole I, simplification movement of, of the English language where you would spell things in this sort of hyper-extreme easy version of themselves. So essentially the opposite of what, what sort of prevailed, which is the spelling of the word through, so on and so forth. Mm. Not simple. <laughs> it, it reminds me a bit, there's this uh, comedy skit in, uh, in Sweden uh, called uh, Hip Hip. And there's this section called uh, Swedish for Beginners. And before they show a picture of the word you're learning, you see it completely phonetically, which is uninterpretable even for Swedes. And it's just like the funniest thing. So if you want to learn some Swedish, and if you're if you're not a Swedish listener, even if you are, I mean, you'll learn something. Check out Hip Hip Swedish for Beginners. And I was, was going to say, when I do an image representation of a deck, the most important thing for me is that I do a, a, a proper square mm. because I always want my photographs to be in sort of square-shaped photographs wherever I post them because... I just think it's the optimal way of presenting an image is in a square. How many rows and how many columns? Depends on the deck. I mean, sometimes I play 75, sometimes I play 95, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it depends. It, it would depend on how many playsets I have because it wouldn't be important for me to show four copies of Grizzlebrand art visually. I would sort of pile them up and have one image mm -hmm. clearly visible and then you would have to see that there are three additional crystal brands beneath this first one that's how i usually do it so rows and columns will depend on how many playsets are in a deck for example luckily i've never had to to do this i never played lands to sort of a, uh, anywhere that i wanted to document it <laughs> because I, I think my theory would be difficult to pull off in uh, such a deck one way that is common within the old school community it is when you have uh, multiple copies of one card you just put one of the cards there and then you put a die on it to represent how many copies of it is it's quite eh, quite an interesting way of making it i can get behind this i can get behind this it's a it's also a good way to you know uh, flex and show like yeah this is four copies of this super expensive card when you only own one. Exactly. Oh, do this. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of cheating. Yeah, but also in the old school community, aren't there some really elaborate sort of visually 
artistic styles of, of presenting your decks in sort of circles that sort of tumble in towards the middle where you have this one black lotus or archways of cards that are built uh, in I think if you want to go for creative design of, of deck imagery go to Instagram or any other image app of your choice and uh, find the old school players I mean I completely agree but that, that way you're describing they are usually quite disorganized uh, and it's hard to get the overview of the deck so i i don't approve of those even though there might be it it's kind of cool aesthetically yeah, it's cooler looking but you can't really extract any information from it but i mean disorganized this is a format where chaos orb is legal so you know it's a bit chaotic yeah and i think like also in certain scenarios you want to showcase that you have like a, a particular art you know in in some formats i i experienced that a lot of people care a lot about the the overall like the overarching uh, aesthetic of the deck and uh, i remember playing the first pre-modern uh, nationals uh, like swedish nationals and there was uh, like so many really pretty decks people had really you know put a lot of time and effort into putting these old decks together and i was playing on stream and i heard later that someone was like how can he play Mercedian Mask Stone Reigns? And I was like, <laughs> aren't you going to comment that I'm also playing like the like a full playset of Winter Mistress? <laughs> like you have to, you have to bash on my like. I had, I had these. Okay, like <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> Cardinal sin, Christopher playing Mercalian Mask Stone Rains. I don't know what you were thinking. You're going to cause an uproar in our listeners. Yeah, I, I, I remember asking for advice on my deck uh, when I was playing old school. And uh, the advice that I, I, I was like, how, how can how can I improve this deck cheaply? And it was like, eh, you can get matching matching swamps. <laughs> you can get a black border lotus <laughs> <laughs> to match, to match yeah. your basics. But it... Yeah, it was just aesthetic advice, nothing about the gameplay. <laughs> like, Thank you for your input. <laughs> That's really helpful. Yeah. Uh, another thing I was thinking of was that, I mean, we, we, during this discussion, we sort of um, confirmed that playing Paper Legacy is also a game of aesthetics, whether you like people's aesthetics or not. For example, I do really embrace the new art, new borders of cards, etc., etc., and I think I'm pretty much alone in that, in this community, and that's fine. But I find it sort of, um, not ironic perhaps, but interesting that while people who play Legacy very often will have a strong sense of what type of aesthetic they will put into their deck, how they will sort of, what type of basics do you play? I mean, we have a whole section of that, which is a popular segment for this podcast when we bring it up. People foil or not foil, people do this or that, which brainstorm is the best one, etc., etc. But when it comes to writing your paper deck lists, it's such a sloppy affair. Like People will use these sort of non-standard size papers, squared, uh, sort of, uh, I mean, papers with uh, lots of squares on them from Math Club. People use uh, lined papers, but they're super thin, so you can't manage them. Uh, the, the, the most effort people will go to is taking the pre-formatted wizard's deck lists and fill them in perhaps online or perhaps by hand so at least you get some sort of proper spacing between lines <laughs> but it's like the, the management of deck lists is just this complete jumble of uh, unorganized paperwork in where my biggest pet peeve is um, 
you know you have a, a you have a, a folder you have a notepad folder and you rip out your page and you save these little sort of bits of paper that attached it to the notepad and you don't have the courtesy to sort of take that off for the judge. You're just going to have to sort of have an extra dexterity challenge when you try to stack these papers. I think this is um, this is an outrage. That's, that's so funny and uh, such a good example on how like old people are so different. Because that deck list like, means completely nothing to me. So I will give it no love as well when I'm writing it. But I usually like submit in an email or something like that so i don't have to deal with writing a deck list and also my handwriting is completely unreadable so i mean i'm doing everyone a favor not not making a deck list in paper but i I love hearing that like for, for me taking like a picture of the deck that's something that i can really like get involved but writing a, a paper deck list can't care about it, and and obviously we're different there. it's really cool to hear i'll give the judges that additional paper it's on me like the the thing when you just rip it out and it's like not even symmetrical. It's just a part of it that just ended up there. I'll give it. I'll, it's on the house. Judges in the, in the in the audience saying thank you very much. <laughs> That's just what we wanted. Let's deck check him every round. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that is uh, all we have for this week. Thank you for listening to our key discussions of the most controversial topics of Legacy today. If you want to discuss Ragaval and other cards, you can find them in any other Legacy podcast. If you want to help us out, you can help us grow by telling a friend of this podcast. And if you want to reach out to us, a great way is to join the Discord server. You can please find the link to that in the episode information. You could also hit us up on Twitter at sthlm legacy we are as well present personally on some social media robin where can our listeners find you uh, you find me on the discord uh, channel you can find me on twitter at monolith mtg and i am also on twitter at disco drogo and that is the end of the 28th episode of stockholm legacy report thank you robin svensen and christopher wikström warm thank you to you for listening and the great frönes has written our music you can check them out on spotify until next time tap that arcane encyclopedia